Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 8 of Crypto Sapiens. Um, I am here today with some truly remarkable guests. I'm here with Marco Grendel, head of the DAO ecosystem at Polygon, and OX Justice, who is just an amazing person, always building community. Um, and I'm just so excited to be here today. I've been talking with Marco and Justice for a long time, facilitating the partnership with Opolis, and I just learn from them all the time about DAOs. They really do show up continuously um, and just do amazing things for the Polygon community and the larger Web3 ecosystem. So today we have some questions prepared for them, and I'm just going to dive in and give them a chance to give themselves an introduction. So we'll start with Marco. What first got you interested in DAOs, and what has your journey been like at Polygon? Well, first of all, hey everyone, and thank you, Rachel, for hosting us. Well, I I am a geek since I was very young. So, well, this is a good way to start it. I was uh, really, I was uh, involved with the internet since the, the beginning. I was a Sitman administrator back then. And then I always stayed in touch with the technology. In 2016, I wanted, I decided, well, I was pushed by my brother, really, that he thought it was the best space for me. And I started digging the blockchain, uh, the communities, the projects, and so on. I started contributing to some small projects, um, you know, like everyone, some marketing, some development, some community management, and so on, in order to understand what was happening. Over time, well, I, I was really passionate about it. I tried the best uh, to make it my main, uh, main job, main occupation. I launched an IT company, but at the end, everything really started with, uh, on one side with Bankristow and then with Polygon. I must say that Bankristow was uh, an incredible opportunity with, for so many of us because, uh, I was looking for a DAO to join. I was really, I wanted to dig in. I wanted to understand better how everything was, was done. And I had some, you know, governance token for some DAOs. I participated to some votes, but at the end, it was not like really participating there. And I was, maybe it was too late for protocols. I don't even know, but it was not exactly what I was looking for. While the chaos, the incredible chaos that was uh, started with Bankless DAO really was my thing. I, I loved it. I did my best to be there to to grow, to help others grow, to I engage with others. We had a great time. And at the end, uh, well, I understood that the DAO space was actually what make me, well, I don't know, wake up in the morning and be very happy to spend my day on. And I moved to Polygon to take care of DAOs and I'm still here and I'm so lucky to have done it and doing it with friends and great people as Justice here, as Tommy that is not could not uh, join us and many others like Koros, like Eagle and many, many others from Bankless DAO and from other DAOs that I had the privilege to work with. Wow, Marco, there's just so much there that I resonate with. I can also relate with uh, getting up in the morning and being really excited to work on DAOs. I've also been a contributor on Bankless DAO and now a Crypto Sapiens. So I've said on a previous episode too, like Bankless DAO is just a really good starting point for anyone looking to get involved on a DAO. If you are looking to learn more about DAOs, there's a guild for just about anything you want to do in there. It's super inclusive. It's just an amazing starting point. And yeah, a little, little bit of alpha. Uh, we are planning a space with the chip community on Twitter um, in the next week. So it might be out by the time this episode comes out. Um, and so, yeah. everyone here is a, has a cheapy and is a cheapy. Oh, so, we're going you know, to rally the... so hard on this Twitter space. Like we're going to get all, it's going to be a chippy takeover. Um, yeah. So Marco, thank you so much for your introduction. You really are like an OG in the DAO space. So thank you so much for being here today. And yeah, I'll pass the mic over to Justice to give his introduction. Sure, sure. The story is a a little bit similar to Marco's too. I came from um, traditional IT background as a full stack JavaScript developer in 2009 and founded two, uh, two startups, both of them related to kind of business automation. And um, when I sold those startups, my job changed to be doing more like integration, enterprise integration. And so I kind of accidentally found myself in a place more of building teams rather than writing code. And so that's how I got exposed to Agile, Lean, Kanban. And these are all kind of like uh, a development um, at another level of abstraction. 
where you say, well, how do you, how do you measure, predict when a release will be done? Or how do you, what are the patterns of coordination between multiple teams? Um, and then I too got completely Dow pilled in Bankless Dow. I was familiar with the concept of the Dow and was, you know, even blogged about it a bit from a science fiction standpoint. But the actual get your hands on it, kick off a multi-sig, token gate channels, figure out roles. It was like so exhilarating to me that um, I went full maniacal. It's the only thing I've thought about for the past like two years. And, 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 then, and, then, and then I started to see so many connections from the agile side because agile is all about it's, – it's literally about coordination minimization and like team APIs, how do teams communicate and like incentive, intrinsic, extrinsic. And I was like, man, I'm bringing this whole set of tools to this space that a lot of people in the space are not dealing with that. And then I'm able to be exposed to what's possible with Web3 tooling that all nobody in the Agile space. So it was like this connection happened that I was like, man, I feel like this thing has been like designed for me to step into. And so I feel very privileged. I was able to leave my you know, uh, enterprise IT stuff at the beginning of this year, um, like, and be full-time Web3, Polygon made that possible. And so, like, I it, I probably was walking for weeks on end and be like, is this real life? You know, so I'm very happy. That's amazing. I'm going to I'm gonna use the soundboard here for that one. <laughs> um, but, but no joke, Justice, like, we have a lot of parallels in our story. Um, I will say, for me, I have zero technical background. I came in fully from the human-centric side of things, like, just thinking the potential for Web3 and DAOs is so amazing when it comes to empowering individuals. But I feel like we're, we have a similarity, all of us here, is we got our start in Bankless DAO for the most part and, you know, working on DAOs. This is a new way for us to structure organizations in a way that creates positive sum games for individuals and creates a new way to collaborate. The next question I wanted to ask you guys, like in your own words, can you explain to me what you think makes a DAO successful? And we can start with Marco. This is something that, of course, many uh, replied already. So I would like to enhance, enhance something different from here. Well, it depends on the use case, of course, and, it, and especially if, the, if we're talking about a DAO that is more lean to business or not. For the business part, I will leave it to Justice because this is his thing and he will uh, reply in a brilliant way. I will cover two kinds of DAOs, two different uh, use cases. One is the ecosystem DAO and the second one is the social community DAO. An ecosystem DAO, well, actually doesn't need over time to become self-sustainable, let's say, or doesn't need to have uh, a sort of, uh, you know, motivation that is, that is business-driven. An ecosystem DAO, well, we, we can say that, of course, uh, well, increasing the size uh, and the quality of the ecosystem is, all, is also uh, a business uh, motivation, but it's not, actually, because at the end, well, I don't want to make the analogy with the digital states and so on, because I think it's different. But anyway, if we start from the ecosystem DAO, I think that it is really important for the DAO to become the way for the ecosystem to grow, to attract new people, to attract new ideas, to offer education, and to offer an ethos that can be shared over time by everyone. And it is also, it gives the premises to decentralize more, decentralize the ecosystem, because at the end, this is also one of the, way, the, the reasons we are here today, to delegate more and more, to decentralize more and more in, in order to make it more resistant, uh, to make it more uh, the fact that uh, something can exist even if the founders are not there anymore, because this is how a real ecosystem should work. The community DAOs, I think that is more, 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 uh, uh, well, the, the ethos part is more important, even more than in the ecosystem DAO, because an ecosystem DAO can be related to many different people, many different ideas that will find a way through governance, through many different tools to find the best uh, path to proceed together. 
A community, a social DAO, tends to have a very distinctive ethos, a strong one. And also, of course, the engagement it very, it is, very, is very important in the community social DAO. As well, in my opinion, and I take the example of Bankless DAO, but also Forefront and many other social and community DAOs, well, Forefront is a media DAO, but has a, it has a strong community and social base. It's about every single one of the members at the end will help the others. And so you can leverage all the people that are part of this community, that feel that are part of the community, to grow over time because of the others. You can trust them. You can see how everyone can actually grow because of the others. And this is the nicest part, in my opinion. I leave the wow. less romantic part to, to justice. I love the description, less romantic, and I will fully own it, Mirko. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say this. <clears throat> what makes a DAO successful? I would say replace the word DAO, because it has too much uh, baggage, with the O, organization. What makes an organization successful? And um, if you know, if if you start from there, then it's a, a varied uh, answer. It's like what Marco was saying. Well, what's the purpose of the organization? And I'll mention as well, like um, uh, Conway's Law, right? That however, whatever you're trying to achieve, you want to structure the organization to achieve that because the structure will determine what the output is or limit it, right? And so, um, you know. Um, I, I like the idea of starting DAOs with something of value. And if you look at the top DAOs, like the ones with the most money to spend and all this, you know, they're the protocol, they're DeFi, they have something that makes money. And then that money, that system is a value. And so you have to build something around it to keep it from being captured. You have to create the anti-capture. Decentralization is the means to create the anti-capture. Um, and then you have the resources to try drive the vibes, drive the greater collection of people around it. And so I wonder if, um, you know, in, in an organization's growth, if Dow, the baggage associated with that term is kind of in the middle of the growth or in the bigger size when we've may maybe neglected the smaller size of like, What's the on-chain startup look like when there's five people? What's that look like when it's 50 people? Then we're like, oh, it's starting to look like a DAO. But really, it's just an organic growth of, the, of, 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 a, of an organization, right? And so Dunbar's number is really interesting to look at. Um, also kind of a trend in like diminishing size of companies where it's getting down to the point where entire companies are basically 14 people, right? And um, so, so these are things to, to think about I think are relevant. Awesome. Well, I'm taking notes over here. We got Conway's Law, Dunbar's number. I'm going to have to look into these after the show. Yeah. Um, have you guys ever thought about writing a book? Like, I feel like if you guys put your heads together and wrote a book on DAOs, like, you're just like spitting truth. We're working here. on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would love to read that book because I feel like you guys have like the combined experience of working on these things for so long and learning through the experience. You know, and I feel like, you know, there's a book that uh, Gitcoin released. It's like things only crypto OGs know. I feel like you should do things only DAO OGs know. <laughs> good, so anyway, you guys, uh, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to move into the next question. So we've talked a little bit about DAOs. What makes a DAO successful? Now, I want to know about the challenges. So what have been the major challenges when it comes to DAOs as, as far as operations? And how, do you, how have you overcome them or how do you plan to overcome them? You know, well, again, as a, for the previous question, I don't want to repeat what everyone knows about. So I will always use my what I think about. The main problem on building operations is not the, the operational part itself, because at the end, uh, most of the time, people are just replicating existing way to manage and operate. So it's just a replication. And this is the main issue. You should not repeat what is maybe already faulty, or maybe it's working, but it should be at least amended for this space. I think that the main issue is uh, trying to find new way to build. And in order to find new way to build and operate, you must first of all identify the stakeholder of your doubts. This is some something that at the end, no, I, of course, no one isn't too much, but not many doubts are doing or does when they they are launched. So at the end, they stakeholder identification is very important because at the end, operation will also rely on. Some 
some of those stakeholders, you, you should know what they can do, what they cannot do. You should also learn how to delegate more and more because scaling is based on delegation, on being able to empower others to do the job and also to, well, to substitute you at, the, at one point. And uh, you need to learn how not just to operate, but also how, how to track the operation, how to track the results and so being able to know if everything that you're doing is okay. So right now in many DAOs, we have a lot of operations going on, but uh, I don't think that there are so many ways to track uh, the results, if things are doing well or not. Let's take something that really, well, uh, really says DAOs in this, this year, and it's about the grain processes. Many DAOs are started and are starting grand processes. And it's really difficult to operate a grand process if you are not thinking just to give away tokens in order to promote your DAO, your ecosystem. Grand programs are becoming more and more, became already more and more market extension of marketing. They are not related to the fact that someone is building. They are just wishing that someone will come on your ecosystem and build. And this is okay. But even so, you have to make something that is actually, well, usable and useful for both the ecosystem and the people, the DAO, the ecosystem of the DAO, and the people that are building. Throwing away money is not education, is not useful to anyone, not even to the people that are building, because they will fail the first time that, will have, that they will have to face any kind of scrutiny. This is a great space. People can build whatever they want. But the fact is that people have to work. Everyone is working hard also. But the education part most of the time is not most, but many times is skipped. And it is because the missing operational layer, in my opinion. I pass it to Justice because he will be able to elaborate what I said in a more, in a nicer way. This hit me like a ton of bricks when it started, the light bulb started to go off that um, ops is determined by architecture. And the simple way to think about this is if we were designing a car and instead of four wheels on the car, we have four people all holding the um, axle, one in the axle, and they all walk in unison to take the car from A to B. Now, if, if we're just focused on operations, we say, hey, um, we need to train to walk faster, all four of us in unison. We need people with stronger leg muscles. We're going to do all this stuff to try to streamline something that at the design level is not efficient. It's not optimum. It's not the right way. And so like, you know, it has to start with the actual design of the system. Um, as far as overcoming those challenges, I would say first is, is a change in mindset that like, because a lot of people do believe that you can design decentralized systems in a decentralized fashion. I have not seen this. Bitcoin was not designed this way. Ethereum wasn't designed this way. You know, this is kind of an intelligent mind that produces. Now, you can have it grow in a decentralized fashion, but the original conception, it starts. The life is born, and then the life grows, and there's self self-improvement and stuff. But as far as overcoming those challenges, I would say two, one is pretty heavy and the other is a, you know, a little lighter, is the first is you can introduce some mechanism by which the system can self-improve. We have something like this with improvement proposals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, you know, these typically are like, oh, well, let's move the treasury here or let's um, create a new department. But if you can replicate the current function of your system in some hard text way and then, imp, imp, you know, introduce improvement proposals that change that and gradually introduce, you know, games or, you know, uh, governance games or some automation, you kind of have a way to kind of increment your way to a better internal design. The other one is just a straight rebuild, which it sounds radical, but it may not be altogether. Everyone can do a 2.0 that allows people from the 1.0 to trade in their 1.0 representation into a 2.0. That would be amazing. Haven't seen that yet. Hopefully, we maybe we see some cool examples of that uh, this year or next. I, I just want to be taking notes the whole time you guys are talking. Uh, there's just so much to unpack here. The coordination piece, the decentralized piece. There's just so much you guys have learned through your experiences. I'm going to share something that I, I wrote that I was referencing with Jairus really quick. I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So 
some things I found, like common denominators of DAO successes. Uh, the first one I saw when I was looking at different DAOs uh, was there is some level of decentralization. It's more community driven. So I think creating um, more automated processes and focusing on the architecture, right, and allowing these communities to grow in a more decentralized way. I think that's something that's really important. And that was the number one thing I found. Um, number two, something we talked about is utility. Like it's solving some sort of problem. It's built for a purpose and it's delivering. It's, it's doing what it was built to do. Another thing I found is oftentimes there's some sort of DAO token. There's some sort of intrinsic value there through a token, whether they use it for governance or voting or they actually have, um, tokenomics incorporated. That's another one that I found. And then fundraising is, is number four. So um, a lot of DAOs I found that are successful, there's been some sort of uh, financial sustainability piece and even profitability in these DAOs so they can continue solving the problem. Um, now, like we talked about community DAOs, right? Like they can do that through uh, grants or through funding from various ecosystems that they're aiming to grow, which is fine too. Um, but I'd say that's, that's under the umbrella of uh, fundraising. Um, and then development. I think this kind of ties in with utility as well. Like they're building something to create value on chain. So these were the, some of the five things that I found when I looked at DAOs. I'm like, okay, what makes them successful? This was through looking uh, over a ton of DAOs. So this is what I found. Um, and I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Well, I will enhance especially the point to the utility because as also, uh, well, Vitalik said, you start a DAO because you have to do something. You don't start a DAO just because it's an opening, you know. So the utility part is the purpose, is the reason why you start a DAO. The success can, well, it, it really depends on, well, what you want to achieve. And the success could be, the success metric could be different on many of the stakeholders of the DAO itself or the organization itself. And the community-driven, I think, is very important, even if the community could be, 20 people, because we are not defining what the community is right now. We are saying that we are talking about a group of stakeholders that are trying to drive something together. The value of the token, uh, well, I would not, well, uh, talk too much about a token and so on. I think a value could be also a value on the ethics, on the ethos that is shared, on the community values. I think uh, that an NFT that can, I don't know, uh, represent the value of the community, and this is an NFT is stored in a multisig, is the same as a very valuable token at the end. Of course, you are not going to buy any grocery with it, but anyway, for the purpose of the get out, it's the same at the end. Regarding the financial Financial sustainability and profitability really depends, in my opinion, to the use cases I was talking before. And the development, building something on chain, well, we are talking about DAOs. You must have something on chain. Else it's just an organization. It could be a brilliant organization. You just don't call it DAO. So when it comes to on-chain, right, I, I totally agree. Um, DAOs need to be doing something on-chain or it's just, it's a business off-chain, basically. I, I totally agree with that. I would throw out three things to consider is um, the distinction between a DAO and a tokenized community is very helpful. And to anyone who, who hasn't heard of uh, Jihad from Forefront, just Google tokenized community and he basically has laid out seven fundamental properties of a tokenized community. And some people on the DAO side, they'll look at tokenized communities and be like, oh, they're fake DAOs. And then people on the tokenized community side, they're like, hey, this all ain't all about like financials, right? They're extremely complementary and they may even be the one is a breeding ground for creativity that leads to the, the greater games, the financial games on the DAO side. Um, and so like, I think they're both awesome. And the tokenized community side is like, we have a shared token and we all have an interest in cre creating value accrual to that token. And so we plan to do stuff together to create that value accrual, right? Um, so it is on chain in the sense that there are there most most often structures around it, and the tokens decentralize and all this, you know. Um, and so, making a distinction with those two is cool. And then also reputation. Reputation is really cool because we typically think about it as like a property of yes, these organizations. Yes. But look at it this way: if you have a token or something that's non-transferable, you have a reputation. You can build a reputational system with no money, but what do you, mm. but you are exchanging value. 
You could kick off a Moloch DAO and give out shares and there's nothing in the treasury. So you can have a purely reputational you know, uh, organization, you can have a tokenized community, and you can have on-chain governance in the form of traditionally more a DAO. So there's a lot of pieces to play with here and they're all mutually beneficial. I feel inspired. I, w- I want to do benefit of the DAO V2 and just and just start adding all this stuff. Reputation is huge. Yeah, I, I definitely want to add that in um, somehow. I feel like in Web3, right, reputation is so important. Like what you show up to do as a DAO, as an individual, that kind of carries you through your Web3 journey. One, um, one thing on that reputation piece, think about mm-hmm. this. If we just have grants with no reputation, what are we doing? We're saying, hey, I'm going to do this cool thing. Give me money first. On a reputation, you're like, I already did the cool stuff. See what I did? And, and so like it's an upfront value creation. And now I can leverage that to say, hey, you already see my reputation. Now I'm asking for a grant. It, it more fills out the picture and adds signal to, to the processes we have now. You know, It's almost like your credentials, right? Or, or like your digital identity, even I would say it's tied into that. Yeah, and just one more thing that uh, repeti- why I think uh, Web3 reputation is better than Web2 reputation. Well, we can have sovereign identities that uh, are completely anonymous, protected by ZK. Well, my reputation is still there, even if I don't have to prove to anyone who, who I am. This is the best thing in the world, in my opinion. You are what you are without disclosing anything about yourself. This is great. Love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to see all these projects and even Polygon um, with the ZK EVM. Like, I just see a lot of projects starting to adopt. Being able to prove something without um, creating vulnerabilities with user data or information, which I really love to see. I'm going to move into the next question. This is something we discussed on our last call, and I think Polygon has really nailed um, this sort of balance here. So let's talk about the combination of uh, Polygon's innovative technology and the human side. So I think what we were discussing last time is really a successful project really needs to balance the human side with technology, right? The business development initiatives, um, partnerships, successfully growing the project, also coupled with really innovative technology. So yeah, I'll start with you, Marco, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Well, I would like to say that if Polygon is so brilliant on the technology side and on the business side, it's because of the people, starting from the co-founders. On the business side, on the social side, on the business development side, I think this is just my opinion, of course, and it's not because I work for Polygon, because I really believe it. I think that Sandeep, he's one of his kind. I never met anyone so great in this space as Sandeep for so many reasons. And also, there is someone else, as Sanket, for example, that is, um, well, he's uh, another great person for all Polygon BD and for everything about Web3. And then we have a team that is really, it's, there is a mix of Web2, Web3 skills, uh, but in the same time, deep knowledge of Web3. And there is a clear vision. There is trust on the mission that we are trying to pursue. And, you know, I keep talking about the ethos. It's weird to think that, uh, well, Polygon is becoming huge, of course, and it's uh, becoming more kind of a company than a project. But I can see the same ethos that was uh, there at the beginning. It's still there. I believe in it. It's very close. Uh, well, it is the same ethos that Web3 uh, is taking care of. And this is why we are here, I think. I think that the, there is one more additional thing. Polygon idea is always to let the partners, let the communities get more of what you, than what you get. So giving first and being able to let others get more than what you get, for me, for in my opinion, is very important. You know, it is the best way for everyone to feel, well, happy to work with you, feel that you are really doing your best for them. And even if they want to, of course, to be at the same level, everyone is the same level, but Polygon always tried. In my opinion, of course, I work for Polygon. It's 
I don't even need to tell it. But I really think that this is what Polygon keeps doing. And I love it. I, I just want to make one comment there. Like something you said just about um, in, in relation to building symbiotic relationships, right? I think that's what really creates a successful business development team and partnerships team. Be willing to give more than you get because that's big picture thinking, right? If you're thinking about perpetuating the ethos of Web3 and growing the ecosystem and achieving mass adoption, we're all in this together, right? We all got to support each other on our journey of growth. And, and that's one of the reasons that I really love business development. I I love helping other people grow. I love showing up for other people and other communities. It's why I do calls like this. It's why I joined Crypto Sapiens because, you know, that's a more decentralized approach, right? Like helping different projects grow and solve different problems and go further together. So I, I really love that philosophy, Marco. You know, I'll say Marco reached out to me way back to get involved with Polygon earlier. And I feel, I feel like I need to go back and pull up that DM to kind of rub in the regret a little bit more to yes. fully, because, <laughs> because at the time I'll say this, like Polygon fooled me too, because I was like, you know, what they did in my, from my perspective is they started with the user, the user experience that generated an incredible amount of wealth. That wealth was redirected into future-proofing the technology. And that was a play that nobody else took. And you can see how it's played out now. I mean, what was the last um, the last uh, uh, event where Vitalik is dressed like a samurai on the stage, pointing to the pointing to the slide and talking about ZK EVM is the most advanced, uh, you know, Wait. manifestation of uh, <laughs> manifestation of the zero knowledge dream or whatever. And I was like, where are we? What is this? This is amazing. And so it reminds me of um, there was a time that the younger Steve Jobs was on the stage and they asked him about some technical element. It was some new technology, some Java innovation or something. And he was just like, listen, the technology may be cool, but what about the user? Like, how does this impact their experience? And I can say this, like, people can say all they want. At the end of the day, when a transaction costs a penny or less than, and you, you we can actually build on chain, and then the roadmap, which we can't even get into on the future proofing of what is happening at Polygon, it'll make the hairs on your arm stand up. It's amazing. All right, that's a, that's a mic drop there. I, I am just like too soundboard happy today. I feel like there's so many soundboard worthy moments. Um, oh my God. Yes. It's like you guys cracked the code. Like it, it's just so cool to see the community continue to grow. It's like you guys got the human side down, the community, um, the technology. It's just like. I feel like you've created uh, like a, a bear market proof uh, product and community. Um, and it's crazy, like joining spaces like All Roads lead to Polygon. I think joining and speaking on those spaces, it's been the most attended spaces I've ever seen. Like I think something like 68.8 thousand people join and just people show up in droves and really believe in the project. And For I like feel three like hours. <laughs> like seriously, nobody wants to go. And it's super chill. Like I was at consensus on my phone, like, like trying to talk to you guys as I'm running around. I didn't want to go. I'm at, I'm at a conference and I'm like, damn, I want to be on this polygon space. So it's just so cool to see people, uh, like rock and, and Aztec show up. Really, there gets to be a point in these kinds of projects where the community starts to build itself, right? And, and market itself. And I feel like polygon is, is like, past that like there's there's ogs in the community and it's so cool to see awesome so let's see so i have two questions another one i'm going to ask is what i don't know i feel like maybe we talked about this but what has attributed to polygon success i feel like it's the innovative technology it's the team it's you know the community and and the human side of it so i feel like that kind of is wrapped into that Marco, I, I think I want to ask you this question next. Um, what do you feel like uh, the community piece has been like to Polygon? Why is the community so important to the ecosystem's growth? Well, I think the community is always important for every single uh, new project, new startup, new community, well, of course, new, <laughs> new protocol, new ecosystem. We are talking here about an ecosystem. An ecosystem cannot live without its own community. In Web, in web 2, you call this community most of the time customers. Luckily, we are not in Web 2. And uh, I'm so happy not to be in Web 2. And, you know, you cannot do anything without community, as Justice was saying before. 
you can have the perfect tech, but if no one is using it, well, you build it for yourself and that's how it will die with you. The fact is that the community is incredibly important for many different reasons. First of all, it's the real, uh, well, um, subject that will be able to give you feedback on what you're building. It will give you a suggestion about how to build and what to build, what it is needed in the space. And the feedback part is extremely important all the time. But also, if you want to scale an ecosystem, well, it means that, uh, well, the, the benevolent dictator at the end will have to delegate the power to someone else, the decisional power, but every single power. It means that the community that at the end should be able to take care of itself, the ecosystem must take care of itself. And here, ecosystem community, for me, the same thing. When I talk about community, I talk about the individuals. The community as a code as, I don't know, different communities that maybe has different datos, but also the projects, everyone that is building, the developers and so on. Polygon Labs is part of the community too. We are one of the many different, uh, uh, well, teams that are building on top of Polygon. The fact is that uh, you need to scale. And uh, in order to scale, you need to, well, as I was saying, delegate to someone. Because of it right now in the ecosystem support program that we are taking care of, Polygon Village, and we are going, and we are already, and we are going to delegate more and more the support of the ecosystem to the community itself. We start from what we call the village mentors. The mentors are very reputable people of the of the Polygon communities of the project that are able to give the support to all the projects that are building on top of the layers. And we need those mentors for many different reasons. First of all, we are talking about people that have an incredible experience, incredible skills. Some are OGs of Polygon. Well, you name, for example, Aztec. Aztec is uh, a mentor and his knowledge of Polygon is impressive. He, and they know how to create a connection. Well, maybe I don't know because they know a lot of people. They can have more ideas than I have, than Justice has and many others have. So you are creating, you're extending the this uh, big brain, let's say, made of skills and experience in order to aggregate all of them and push the, 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 the rest of the community, the rest of the ecosystem to deliver and to deliver maybe better and faster. Before I was talking about how you should build with education and you should consider education as a, man, a very important part of your path. These mentors and everyone in the community that is supporting someone else is actually using the education that they get to share it and tell other people how to build better. Because we must be very honest right now, the rate of success of new projects is very, very, very low. And it is very low, not because the ideas are not good, not because the people are not good, but because there is sometimes it lacks the education on how to start a business, how to start a project, how to operate a project, something else that we discussed about before, and being able to engage with people that maybe already had these, those kind of issues that are, uh, that, or maybe they witness someone doing the same mistakes or maybe solving this. Well, it's, uh, it is really important. That's why I think that community is the most important part of an ecosystem. Without a community, you don't have an ecosystem, in my opinion. Wow, that's just beautifully put. And as you're talking about community in my head, I'm, I'm kind of visualizing like a, a body almost and like every DAO and every project within the ecosystem playing a vital role in the overall health, right, of, of the body or the community, if you will. So I, I think that's so awesome. Um, and I'll, I'll give Justice a chance to give his answer on like the significance of community. And if you want to talk about mentors as well. Uh, I, I just want to say... Um, <clears throat> You know, and not just uh, not just because he's on the line with us right now, but from early on, I sense that Marco was always always four steps ahead of me of like seeing the evolution of an ecosystem. You've I'm said telling this. You, yes, you've said yeah. this to me before. You're like Rachel. Marco's yeah. four steps ahead. Yeah. Watch. And so, like, <laughs> um, the whole idea of going from a basic kind of grant system 
which is kind of like a, a person on life support. Like as long as the machine's on, the life is there. To producing an ecosystem that is more like you create a spark that then begins cold fusion. More energy is produced than what you have to continually put into. This is the miracle. And so designing an ecosystem that perpetuates itself and grows, this is the goal and the genius. And why, why, in my opinion, from what I've been told by Marco and what I can see is why Polygon is further ahead than some of these others that are like, yeah, yeah, run the grants, run the grants, run the grants. And it's like, it's further along in the thinking. And I've, I've mentioned this a lot before, sorry for being repetitive, but Mark uh, Boron is the chief legal counsel for uh, Polygon, and he wrote the, the, the canonical text, Sufficient Decentralization. And in it, he talks about the hardest part to decentralize is the BD. And so when you think about like, what does a post-grants world look like and what does decentralized BD look like? It's a new science that requires new mirror articles to be written like big ones like hyperstructures that plant themselves in our mind and i'm looking forward from that coming from marco and so this is this is kind of the idea that has me geeked please keep writing you guys please just just give your gifts from your brain to the world so we can all learn and another thing i'll say with dallas uh something that marco was saying is that a lot of these DAOs have points of failures and there might be people who have already done this who have already um gone through that and failed what i'll say for, for DAOs, people working on DAOs, learn from those failures um don't be afraid to rely on your community for support for for help moving forward and growing your DAO. if you're lacking experience in one area try and find someone who who is uh, just a, a veteran and a, a seasoned person at, at whatever that task is and try and find people who can do the job. Another thing I'll say too is grit is really important. People showing up to work on DAOs, the amount of work you put in is is so important. And I feel like the, the ones that have the grit and the tenacity who keep showing up, those are the ones that'll go far. But I wanna just ask the last question I have prepared for you guys today. So last thing, let's just talk about scaling and decentralization. We talked a little bit about it on this podcast, um, but something we talked about on our last call is that scaling requires systems to be created. And this kind of ties back into the architecture piece that Justice was discussing. Um, and systems are created by experiences usually that are centralized. So how can we create systems in a more decentralized manner? Well, if you are talking from a technological point of view, well, Polygon is doing it with CKVM and their rollups. If we talk from a business a social point of view, then of course there is what I was talking about, the delegated PD as the first step for decentralization. But I think that in order to give justice to this, uh, to this topic, I would like justice to reply. Give justice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I, I have this, um, I'll, let me throw something out to you, right? Um, to most of us who work in this space, who are all in here, we talk sometimes like decentralization is the goal. Like it's the end all, it's, that's where we're going. But if you think about it, it's kind of like not the goal, not the goal at all. Because I've used this analogy, I can take a vase and smash it on the ground and now the vase is decentralized. Vase is decentralized. Good, good. Or, or, or entropy, right? Like, a, the, you know, the loss of... A, a, productive energy in a system, right? And it's like, oh, we're decentralized. And if you really think about it, decentralization is just the tool to help us to prevent exploitation because there's no vulnerability in this valuable system that a person can take advantage of and extract the value. That's the purpose of the decentralization. Um, and so, you know, looking at it from that perspective, it can shed new light on what we're building and why we're trying to build it and what the goal is. And an analogy I like to kind of play with is that a game, look at all these systems like games. People don't want you to send them random game pieces and tell them to make a game. Not at the start. They want you, you mm. they want to play Monopoly, Connect Four, Go, whatever, right? And so some mind creates a first version of this game. They create the Gitcoin, they create the maker, they create ENS. And then they ship it, and there's a way to interact to play that game that's effective. It's useful. It creates value. And then this is where it gets magic. You create a means for all of those people to propose changes to the game, the improvement proposal. 
All right. And so at that point, you've reached maturity from a standpoint of this is a decentralized system, but you started from something. You started with a spark. It created a valuable system that can't be exploited and then it can improve upon itself. That's the first order. Second order is building games on top of that game. And this, this is the magic of kind of, uh, you, you could look at new games as new product lines. And so when you kind of take these, um, maybe there's mini games, a part of Monopoly, side ventures, right? And so you kind of, this allows people to come into ENS and say, oh, we're building this thing on ENS and it amplifies the utility, right? And so this is kind of the analogy I think is useful in thinking about decentralization as um, valuable systems. Uh, one thing I'll just mention too, um, you know, if you try to prevent the exploit exploitability of a valuable system just by having every, everyone vote on everything, you will destroy the value because it, can't, because it can't be efficient. You can't have the innovation. And if the system's not a value, then it's not worth exploiting. And so these are things to keep in mind, I think are important. I, I love the way you break these things down in like metaphors too. Like we need more people who can show up and break these things down in a digestible way. I, I think Justice, you are just so well equipped when it comes to your speech and communicating these things in a digestible way. So thank you so much, guys. Uh, you just answered all these questions so well. And, and usually we do a little affirmation um, on these calls. So um, something I want to say, I, I didn't have one prepare, but this is just coming to my mind today. I, I think for us and, and for myself, I really, today my affirmation is I want to strive uh, towards innovation and things that create value for individuals. I, I think that's really what we're trying to do here and perpetuating the ethos of Web3, you know, and now I'm thinking a little bit differently about decentralization. So thank you, Justice, for providing that that perspective shift. And I'm going to need to think on that a little bit more. It's really, really interesting. Now, I do have a wild card question for you guys. Told you guys I'd have a wild card question for you prepared today. So tell me an event that's coming up that you're most excited about, whether it's a Twitter space, whether it's an in-person event, conference, let me know what it is. I think I know your answer, Justice, but Justice I, I, I might not. Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say two. I get to see Marco face to face, face to face at ETH CC, and I'm geeked about that. <laughs> but then also next Wednesday, I get to go to the capital, Columbus of Ohio, and speak to the um, you know the politicians there and give a talk on Web three use cases. And I'm going to talk about DAOs and not mention the word DAO at all. I'm going to talk about Ooh. blockchain businesses, blockchain board of directors, Ooh, blockchain yes. access passes. I'm going to talk about all this and see if it lands with them. You got you're, you're speaking yep. the language. That's how you, you got to communicate with people using their language. That's awesome, man. Well, Marco, what are you most excited about? And you know what? Marco is one of the reasons. And now, Justice, you too. The reason that I really want to go to ETCC. I have yet to meet Marco in person. We've been on so many calls at this point, And I'm just like waiting for the day. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for ETCC too. I'm really, well, I know that we will enjoy a lot during the downist and all the time that we'll be able to spend together. And of course, this is on top of my head. And I had the privilege and the, well, the luck to meet Justice already a few times. And it won't be our first, but it will be our first that we work 24-7 because we actually work 24-7 uh, uh, together. And this is different than just meeting you because you are doing something on the side. And this is great. But uh, I, well, you know, uh, before we started this conversation, this call, I was telling you how many great calls I had today. So, well, I think that we are, well, I'm sure, I'm not, I don't think at all, I am sure that we are really privileged because we have so many great calls every day in our days with people that are really exceptional, incredible people. And sometimes I, I with 30 minutes call, they, they are really able to make your day. And this is one of those, uh, those, those days, not just because I, I, well, we had to talk here together. And of course it's great, but it's not so rare. It's something that happened often and it is great. You know that you will get something incredible in any of your, uh, in any day of your week. And I think this is amazing. What's one of that? 
Absolutely. You guys, I, I love showing up to in-person events and just meeting with other people who are passionate and just thinking in, in a progressive way. And I was actually just looking for the picture of when I met Justice at, uh, at East Denver. I think we were at the Dow Denver. It's, it's hilarious. He says it's his true smile. I'll, I'll find it. Uh, don't worry. I'll show, I'll show them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm unable to find it. So I'm so sorry, you guys. You'll, you'll miss out on that, that awesome face. Okay. That's it. You guys, we've gone through all the questions, gave you my wild card question. I will drop whatever resources uh, their team's going to give to me. Um, any specific like call to action or, or anything our listeners should, should look out for to get involved with Polygon. I would say, well, wait for justice to deliver what we call D camp because it will be, it will be amazing. Awesome. And then, of course, uh, there's all roads lead to Polygon, and, and those happen every week. Uh, can you guys let our listeners know today the days those are happening? Well, it's every Friday. I can tell you that it's uh, 11 a.m. EST or 5 p.m. CEST. And it's a great space. It's a community space. And this is actually the greatest thing. It is something that starts from the community, and it is able to attract 60,000 people. It's it's weird that the last one I was in, I was like, is this a new form of media? Because you get tired of being in a, in a, in a meeting, right? The camera and all. But it, it was like suddenly, you know, it's like hours into this thing. I felt more like I was hanging out at one of the Web3 conferences. And I was like, what is this strange feeling? Not a meeting, not, you know, we're hanging out. It, it, it's very cool. Yeah, it's exciting. It, Twitter spaces are a different vibe. Definitely. It, it does feel more like you're hanging out and there's a lot of uh, more organic flow and discussions and people just having fun too, you know? So definitely don't miss All Roads Lead to Polygon. I will drop the links in our description on YouTube and on our podcast description as well. Um, and as always, uh, Marco and Justice, you've just been super, super gracious guests today, really preparing on these questions, putting a lot of thought and intention into these. So I'm super grateful for you guys. Uh, Thank you so much for joining. Okay, friends. So before we end today's episode, I just want to take a moment to thank projects like BanklessDAO and projects like Opolis for making season eight of Crypto Sapiens possible. So I just want to draw your attention to the links in our description. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the links there. Or if you're listening to our podcast, you'll also see the links in the description. The first is going to be Bankless.community. And for those watching the video, I'll go ahead and share my screen. So you'll see here Bankless DAO's website. You'll also be able to learn more about how to join Bankless DAO, the different guilds, and different projects that we're working on at Bankless DAO. And there really is something for everyone here. I think it's an amazing starting point for those looking to get involved in Web3. If you're listening to this and want to learn more about how to get involved, Bankless DAO is an excellent starting point. There's guilds for just about any interest here. So I highly recommend going to Bankless.community, joining the Discord, and saying hi and making some friends. To stay up to date on all things Crypto Sapiens, go to CryptoSapiens.xyz. Here, you'll see all of our podcast episodes uploaded with a brief description of what they are, and you can also download them from here. Now, last but not least, a lot of you know me actually from my work at Opolis. So Opolis, if you don't know, is a digital employment cooperative. We do things like offer employer services to those working in the Web3 space, working on DAOs, or running their own independent business. So we help issue W2s pay stubs and get you things like national healthcare coverage. So if this is something you're interested in, click the link in the description. All proceeds for referrals go towards supporting Crypto Sapiens. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of Crypto Sapiens. As always, stay tuned for next time and thank you again for joining.